Today's reading comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of the reverence for Christ. This ends today's reading. Well, are you spooked by the Spirit? Maybe I should say, are you spooked by the Holy Ghost? I mean, lots of Christians are. They're just almost scared to death of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. They say such things as, uh, I know about God the Father, I know about God the Son, but you know, uh, that other guy I don't know much about. There are two coalescing activities in my life that bring me to the Holy Spirit today. One of these was a pastor's conference I attended at Willow Creek Church a number of years ago. We were gathered in the chapel area of Willow Creek, and Bill Hybels, their pastor, was speaking. And he asked this question of about three or four hundred pastors, what do you expect the Holy Spirit to do this weekend in your worship? What do you expect the Holy Spirit to do this weekend in your worship? A man towards the back shouted out, sit in the back and keep to himself. And Bill Hybels said, are you Lutheran? And the guy said, yes. Now, Bill said it could have been Baptist, it could have been Methodist, it could have been Presbyterian. He said, but there are a lot of people who come to worship, including pastors, who don't really expect the Holy Spirit to be around or do anything in that worship service. That's always stuck in the back of my mind as I go to worship. I don't go to church. I stopped going to church a long time ago. I go to worship, and I expect the Spirit to be alive and well wherever I worship. And guess what? I think I can pretty much tell if the Spirit is alive and well in places I've worshipped, whether it be in the Fox Valley or whether it be Africa or India or wherever. The other one is a Bible passage that's always been in the back of my mind. Many of you know my motto, which is to see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion. You know, we need to see this vision of the past, the present, and the future, and we need to live out a mission, and there is only one mission, and that is God's mission. But there's a Bible passage in there from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. I wonder if that's true, why there are not more witnesses in the church. Has the Holy Spirit not come on some people? Are they just pods or zombies or something? When the Holy Spirit comes, you will be different. I sometimes wonder whether we really know who the Spirit is, who the Holy Spirit is, who He is, what He does, how He works. And do we really tap into the Holy Spirit's power? Through the power of word and water, the Holy Spirit was promised to Andrew. It's there. He now can tap into the greatest power available anywhere. 
Do we really follow the Spirit's leading? Or are we, I've been in churches like this where we've said, okay, what are we going to do this month? And we have all of our plans, and at the end we say, uh, we better say a prayer for God to bless this. And we have not looked to the Spirit's leading and asked Him, what is it you want? I'm almost convinced that a lot of churches wouldn't do a lot of stuff if they would start by the Spirit. A lot of us as individuals probably would not be doing many activities if we were truly led by the Spirit of God. Maybe I'm asking is, are we following the right Spirit? Because as some of you know, there is the Spirit of this age. There is demonic oppression. I mean, Satan is alive and well. He works, not just in individuals' lives, but in the lives of churches as well. He is the great divider of people. He is the great liar. He is the murderer from the get-go. And he would love nothing more than to bring a Christ follower to his or her knees, would like nothing more than to bring a church to its knees. When I began thinking about this, I decided to do a little research, so I took my Bible, took a pad of paper, and I decided what I was going to do is start in the book of Genesis and I was going to see how often the Bible actually talked about the Holy Spirit. And I didn't get very far. In fact, all you have to do is get to verse 2 of Genesis chapter 1, where it talks about how the earth was formless and empty, darkness over the face of the deep, and what? The Spirit of God, the Ruach Elohim, was hovering, helicoptering over the face of the deep. And you go a few more verses, you can read about the Holy Spirit again. I can find one in Genesis 2. I could find one in Genesis 6. And by the time I was done, I had a sheet with well over a hundred different references to the Holy Spirit, the last one appearing in the very last book of the Bible in Revelation in the 19th chapter, the 10th verse, where it says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, I know that we sometimes say to our kids, if I've told you once, I've told you a hundred times. I always think that if God mentions something once, it ought to be good enough for us. But if God has to say it more than once, it might be pretty darn important for us to know and understand. You know, when he talks about the Holy Spirit in so many different ways all the way through the Bible, I think he's trying to get our attention. He's trying to tell us something. You know, one of the oldest prayers of the church contains only three words, come Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? Come Holy Spirit. I mean, this is the ultimate irony. We need the Holy Spirit to open up our eyes so that we can see the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, come Holy Spirit and help us know you even better. Now, in order to do that this morning, I just went through and I chose four of the best known pictures of the Spirit. And each one just reveals a slightly different aspect of his ministry among us. And I hope that as you think maybe just about four little words later, that it will cause you to maybe rethink what's going on in your life. And maybe even in the life of your church or your family or whatever. But the, the very first word that... Uh, I'm using is water. We've already seen water this morning, but in John chapter 7, verse 38, it says, Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Now, lest anyone under misunderstood what Jesus was talking about, in the very next verse he said he meant the Spirit. And in short, Jesus was offering something brand new in history to these people, a complete inner transformation 
by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' words must have absolutely shocked the people of his day because also in that same context he said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now, in that short little statement is really kind of the essence of the gospel. I mean, the gospel is centered in one person. It's Jesus Christ. That's who we know. I mean, the gospel is offered to, without restriction, it says, if anyone, and it's predicated upon human need, it says, if anyone is thirsty, and then it demands a personal response, it says, let him come to me. And then it asks you to do something, it says, and drink. When was the last time you drank the Holy Spirit in? See, those who come to Jesus find living water. They breathe deeply of the Spirit. It's like taking big gulps of ice-cold water when you're just hot and sweaty, like I am. Oh, that's so good. But so is the Holy Spirit. See, those who respond to the call of the Holy Spirit, you know, receive the Holy Spirit as a permanent indwelling life-changing presence and these streams of water that are just flowing through our body really talks about the life of new believers i mean if i were going to pray for anything for andrew in his his many years in this life i would say that i i prayed that the holy spirit would take residence in his being that the holy spirit would just continually flow in endless supply through his life that he would he would bring the life of god to his very soul and that he would satisfy every deep thirst that andrew would ever have but then again, I pray that for all of you. I pray that for myself. See, that's what the Holy Spirit provides us. He fills our life with living water. Now, <clears throat> I don't know where you are today, but let me ask you, have you ever been spiritually dry ground? Have you really felt parched spiritually? I mean, have you ever felt thirsty for the Lord? I mean, have you ever felt empty and needed to be filled. Well, guess what? If you're a Christ follower, it's in here already. It's in here. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is God's answer for our deep inner needs. When it comes to our life, He comes rushing like water over dry, cracked ground. He pours out His blessing. Nobody has to stay dry. Nobody has to stay empty. If you're saying, I'm dry, I'm empty, I'm not getting filled, guess what? You're not being tapped into the Holy Spirit. If that's you, I say, get with it, or get over it. Well, that's water. The water, the Holy Spirit, is God's answer to our deep inner thirst. He pours his blessing out on us. Now, there's another word. We get it today in communion, too. <clears throat> the word is wine. I love these verses, Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, wine is an interesting symbol for the Holy Spirit. Two passages in the whole New Testament draw this comparison uh, of the effects of wine and the effects that the Holy Spirit actually has on Christ's followers. You all know back in, in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes on these people, and there are suddenly supernatural signs that these people had never seen before. There's the sound of this mighty rushing wind, there are these tongues of fire that are up on the top of the heads of these, uh, of these disciples. But the last manifestation of the Holy Spirit was that these rather uneducated Galileans began to speak fluently in languages that they 
They had never known. In fact, if you count just in Scripture, they, they spoke in at least 15 different languages and dialects. Now, i got to tell you, this freaks some people out. Oh, no, we're talking about speaking in tongues now here. Yeah, we are. You don't probably think that's even possible. Let me tell you. First time I was ever in Russia, and I'm standing and I'm looking at an overhead projector of songs that are written in the Russian language, and we are singing Russian praise and worship songs that I can't, I don't even know these songs. They're Russian songs. And I'm standing there just kind of being polite, just, you know, like a lot of people in church every Sunday. And suddenly I'm singing. I'm singing in Russian. And I know exactly what I'm singing. And all of a sudden I went, wonder who's looking, because there are other Americans here with me. But later I found out they were doing the same. The same things happened to me in India. Now, what? Had I been up drinking early and often? Yeah, of the Holy Spirit. But see, often the case when unbelievers or even quote, believers, see the manifest working of the Holy Spirit, it freaks them out. They don't know what to do with it. And so they try to explain it in purely natural ways. And this is exactly what happened here. They said, these guys are a bunch of babbling idiots. They're drunk. That's the only way you can explain it. They're drunk. Or they're just making this up. And that's why Peter jumps up in the first words of his sermon. I've never thought about this being the first words of my sermon one time. These men are not drunk as you suppose. <laughs> it's only nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you know, when you guys are all singing before, I should have said, hey, you people think these people are crazy. They're not. They're not drunk. If anything, we hope they're drunk on the spirit. See, the unbelievers confused the coming of the Holy Spirit with the power of wine. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I think most of you know that somebody who's under the influence of wine acts a little bit differently. They talk a little bit different. They walk a little bit different until they can't walk anymore. They have these great highs and followed by collapsing and then utter depression. And if a person drinks enough wine, his or her mental processes are going to be affected. Their decision-making is gone. But likewise, I want to tell you that when the Holy Spirit is in your life, you will have a different behavior. Can I tell you something that really galls me? Is people that you cannot really tell if they've been changed. Now, I'm not saying that you should be, you know, that you should be running outside with a big sign around your neck that says, I've been changed. But by golly, somebody ought to be able to tell. Somebody ought to be able to see. I mean, if you're full of overflowing water, don't you suppose somebody around you would get wet? I would think so. You hug me after a while, you'll get wet. If I'm imbibing a lot of the wine, if I'm imbibing a lot of the spirit, shouldn't that flow over somewhere? Shouldn't somebody say, wow, he looks like he's been baptized by the spirit and not baptized in vinegar? Shouldn't it? I'm just asking. You know, negatively, wine may control the human mind, the human body, leading to drunkenness and debauchery. We don't want that. Positively, though, the joy that Jesus is talking about here is when salvation comes to the human heart and it points to all kinds of changes that the Holy Spirit makes. 
Now, when the police arrest you for drinking too much, what do they call that? DUI, right? Driving under the influence. I am charging you with today to be arrested for LUI, living under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Think you can handle that? That scare you a little bit? Living under the Spirit's influence. How about wind? I love this one too. John 3, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, you cannot tell where it comes from, where it's going. So it is with everyone that's born of what? The Spirit. <clears throat> now in a closed room, if we were here long enough and turned off the air conditioning, the air in here would get pretty stagnant. But when the windows open up, the incoming breezes blow away that stifling air. And on a hot summer day, a cool breeze refreshes everyone. Likewise, when we throw open the windows, figuratively, of a church that's stagnant, a church that's stale, a church that's going through the motions without emotions, a congregation that's long on doing but short on becoming. When the windows are thrown open, the fresh breezes blow through, and things begin to change. Now, Peter uses this wonderful image here to picture writers of the Holy Spirit. It says that the, Holy, the men who wrote the Bible were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I think that's wonderful. They were shown what to write. And as the wind moved, the prophets, guess what? The prophets went, and the prophets said, I've got a word of the Lord. We heard one kind of this morning already, didn't we? <clears throat> the Lord moved him. The Spirit blew him along. I told Bob Kessler I'd quote a Dutch theologian for him this morning. Um, but there's a Dutch theologian by the name of Andrew Kuyper, and not the Kuypers with the apples or anything. Uh, but it says, the Holy Spirit leaves no footprints. I kind of like that. The Holy Spirit leaves no footprints. I mean, just as the wind is everywhere in the world, the Holy Spirit's work is universal. It's not limited to one country. I mean, the United States does not have the Holy Spirit. In fact, I wish the, whole, wish the United States had more of the Holy Spirit from the top down. Similar to the unpredictability of the wind, guess what? The Holy Spirit goes wherever the Holy Spirit feels like he wants to go. If he shows up at your place and it doesn't seem like you're very receptive, he's going to move someplace else. I mean, the wind may blow from the south one day, may blow from the west the next day, the east, whatever. <coughs> when I was a kid, I'd drive my grandpa out to the farm. Maybe some of you did this. I'd put my hand out the window. You know, when you're doing 50 miles an hour, and what did you try to do? You tried to stop the wind, didn't you? Or you tried to catch the wind. You'd cup your hand, you'd try to get a cup of wind, but you could not do it. That's the same way that you cannot really grab a hold of the Spirit. The Spirit's going to do whatever the Spirit wants to do. Now, of course, you can quench the Spirit. The Bible talks about that. You don't want to do that. See, the symbol of the Holy Spirit is wind. Ought to greatly encourage us. I don't know about you, but I think we need fresh wind today. Now, I know a lot of people say, well, pastors, you know, he's already producing enough wind. Hot wind. So be it. That's your attitude? <laughs> We're going back to Texas, aren't we? <laughs> but I think we all need a fresh wind. I mean, it's only the Holy Spirit, friends, that can wake us out of our spiritual lethargy. Some of us are asleep at the wheel. We need to be woken up. Uh, he alone can 
remove the toxic fumes from our life. He alone is the one that can remove the, the, the fumes of unbelief and calamity. It is only the Holy Spirit that can get rid of the, the spiritual bondage that people find themselves in, the spiritual warfare that they're surrounded with. It takes that wind of the Spirit to do that. We can't do that by ourselves. That's why we say, come Holy Spirit. We need to know you better, to know what it is you're capable of doing, and then do it. He alone can bring that sweet aroma of heaven back into our lives. Only he can bring that sweet aroma of heaven back into our families or into our churches, into our nation, or into our world. I don't want to get political on you, but our country stinks. I read too much, and I just say we are getting rot- I don't know whether we're rotten from the head down or rotten from the feet up. I don't know. Maybe it's just going to be my crotchety old man. But I think we need a fresh wind of the Spirit. Things are not going to change until that happens. But maybe we need this fourth one. Fire. Fire. I love that. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. You know, the Bible talks about fire and God in a lot of different ways. Exodus, Moses, the burning bush, the pillar of fire, the fire of God in Leviticus burning the offerings. But wouldn't it be cool that we take offerings today and the Lord sent fire down and burned them all up? He'd show us he doesn't really need our money. I think that'd be cool. The God who answers by fire, he is God. That's what First Kings says. Matthew, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Acts 2, 3, they saw what appeared to be tongues of fire. First Thessalonians, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Hebrews 12, 29, for our God is a consuming fire. Wow. God's presence is personal. God's presence is individual. That's why there were tongues of fire on different people. We can't be fired up for somebody else. They've got to be fired up by the Spirit for themselves. And see, just as that fiery pillar was a, a, a clear direction, even the Holy Spirit today fires us up and gives us clear direction of what we ought to be doing in our own personal lives, our families' lives, whatever. I mean, I think about fire and the Holy Spirit. It's God's presence with His people. You know, it used to be that you could tell where the Holy Spirit was, where God was, because he would descend into the tabernacle and it was all lit up. I think that'd be cool, too. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if this place started glowing? Could it happen? Sure it could. That fire is also God's protection of people. That fire stood there to keep other people away. Do we not pray at different times that God would build a hedge of protection around us to keep the evil one away? What do you suppose that hedge of protection would look like? I don't think it's just a bush. I don't think God puts a, a privet hedge around his people and says, Okay, devil, don't come in. <coughs> I think the devil's scared. I was almost going to say something, but I... I don't think the devil likes fire, to be quite honest. I really don't. Fire also cleanses his people. Fire is also God's judgment of his people. It's God's divine enablement of his people. It's God's gracious activity in the assembly of his people. I mean, there, there are just four applications that you can make of this. First of all, the Holy Spirit is God's divine cleansing agent. My wife and I went into a store and I don't even know where we were last week. I mean, we've been gone so long. Where were we last week? 
we're still in Dallas area. And we both walked into the store, we walked out, and we said, we feel like we need a shower. <laughs> you ever have that feeling? You need to be purified. Do you ever feel dirty? I'm talking about more than physical. You need God's purifying spirit power. See, also when we yield to the Holy Spirit, He fills us with the fire of God's presence. And I think that's why some people just kind of keep Him at arm's length. Because if the Holy Spirit gets in here, suddenly, suddenly, we're not in charge anymore. During times of revival, guess what? The fires of revival just burn out of control. They go burn all over the place. And finally, the Holy Spirit is the fire that we need to let our light shine for Jesus. When I was growing up, we used to talk about being on fire for Jesus. Y'all remember singing this song, um, It Only Takes a Spark to Get the Fire Going, and Soon All Those Around Can Warm Up by Its Glowing. I'm not going to sing it for you. But then it says, that's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced, you want to spread the love to everyone. You want to pass it on. That's why I have been, I think I've been called by God here in my repositioning years <coughs> to remind people not to be busy for the Lord, but to be in business with the Lord. That's why I keep saying, and I've said it almost everywhere I've preached in the last month, we need to be about the ministry of the Lord. And I'm just going to remind you again, you've heard it from me in the past. Ministry is whatever we do for someone else in the name of Jesus. Which means as you build a relationship with somebody else, you've got to build a bridge between you and that person over whom, over which God himself, you could take Jesus into that person's life. You know, we had a feed the homeless back where we were in Texarkana. Wonderful. Wonderful. But I would hesitate to call it a ministry. <coughs> Why? Because we weren't building any bridges between ourselves and those people. We were not carrying Jesus. We were just feeding them. Now, you may argue with me. Argue with me later. After I'm out of town. <laughs> Remind me to change my email address. Let's just stand back for a moment. I realized this thing said I was only supposed to preach 20 minutes, but the Holy Spirit's got a hold of me. I want you to think about this. As water, water. The Holy Spirit just becomes a stream in us. And it just flows out of us, and it just washes over and pours over and just spills and splashes all over people. And as the wind, you know, as the Holy Spirit blows across the land, it, it just awakens people to every nation. Sometimes I think people look at our nation today and just make fun of us. <clears throat> I'd love to be able to be the nation that they say, this is the place where God lives. And they need to know more about that God, that Jesus. As wine, that we'd just be filled with his spirit. That we'd be filled with, I don't almost call it ungodly power, but filled with godly power. <clears throat> and aspire to burn away all the worldliness that affects us. See, it's very simple when you think about it, but it's pretty profound. So we pray to know the Spirit. We pray to know the living water. We pray to know the new wine. We pray for a refreshing wind. We pray for a blazing fire from heaven. And we pray for so much more. I don't know about you. 
but I know I need more of the Spirit. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. May streams of living water flow through us so that others may be thirsty, absolutely thirsty to know you. Grant that the new wine of the Spirit would just overpower us today and empower us. May we live under the influence. And may the wind of the Spirit blow through this church. May it blow through the churches in this land and set us on fire, Lord, with a holy passion for you. And Lord Jesus, fill us more and more with the Holy Spirit that we can make your name famous throughout this earth. We pray it in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.